Let's open our Bibles today. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We'll be reading there in a moment. So I, if, if you don't know this yet, you haven't been paying attention. Revival is this weekend. Our revival services with Evangelist Richard Valerio is this Sunday. This is our last service before. And as revival uh, services approach, naturally we get excited. If you're not excited, you either don't have a pulse or you haven't been to one yet. Get excited. Just feed off of ours, our excitement. It's for a good reason. And of course, as we know, it is a great privilege and a joy to take part in and be ministered to by an evangelist. But as we approach revival, the question is, what are our expectations for these services? What do you expect for you as an individual What do you expect for your church? Do you expect that this revival will impact our city? What do you expect for all of these things after revival? Who do we expect these things from? Do we expect that the evangelist is going to come and by his power and wisdom we're going to be experiencing something incredible? Or do we realize that all of this comes from the one who appointed the evangelist, God himself? See, sometimes we can look to man to fulfill our expectations or even expect God to fulfill our expectations through a man of God such as an evangelist. But the question is, are our expectations of God's work too close to worldly expectations? Or do we believe that our God will move beyond all that we could imagine in supernatural and unbelievable ways? These are the things we should come expecting God to do is in the supernatural. Let's look at our text, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, which says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people who saw him, uh, saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This evening I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, What Are You Expecting? Let's pray. Father God, help us this evening, God, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you would just fill this place, God, with your presence, God, that you would help us tonight, Lord, that we would be open and willing, God, to what you have uh, this evening, God, by your Spirit, Lord, that we, we would all leave this place, God, touched and changed by you. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. So are we seeking what I'm going to call a get-me-by miracle? In our text, chapter 2 says, A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, that is called Beautiful Gate, to ask alms for those entering the temple. You see, we see our needs before us, but sometimes we forget about the cause of those needs. It's interesting to think this man, he cannot walk. That's what lame means. It doesn't mean he's like boring or a loser. It means he can't walk. But his focus as he sits outside of the temple is on the issues that are caused by his inability to walk. The Bible tells us that he's begging for alms. In other words, he's begging for money. The money that he needs is because he cannot provide for himself. Why? Because he cannot walk. Verse 2 says he sits outside of the temple. It's interesting. He sits outside of the temple. He knows that the house of God is the place to be, but yet he remains on the outside of it. Consider this, we believe in miracles, but are we only getting close enough to seek get-me-by experiences? To seek just enough of God to get through to the next thing? Only outside of the temple seeking temporary fixes. You see, getting a few bucks wasn't going to save, wasn't going to, wasn't going to make him walk again. It wasn't going to change his circumstances. Even if Peter and John gave him a large sum of money, as time went on, he would be back at the gates before long. Legs still lame, still paralyzed, still unable to move, still unable to stand up, to work for himself, to provide for himself. You see, money would have been a short-term fix, a get-me-by miracle. And I don't claim to know the issues of this man's heart, but I wonder, how often did he desire to actually go into the temple? To seek the God of the temple rather than seeking the generosity of the people going into the temple. Why is it that he always stayed on the outside of the temple? Why is it that, that he didn't go to the inside of the temple to seek repairs, to seek miracles, to seek God himself? Why would we today do the same thing? And sometimes people, they do this. It's an interesting thought. They think, God, I just want to get by. They don't, they don't think that exactly, right? Who thinks that exactly? God, I want just enough to get by. Like we all want to be blessed, right? We all want more than enough. But sometimes in the ways that we seek God, in the ways that we ask God to move, it's really just asking God for a get-me-by miracle. Sometimes we're afraid of the full miracle. You think about this. We live in different times today. We live in a privileged land. Americans... If, you, if, you're, if you're paralyzed, you, you get disability, you get the food stamps, you get the welfare. You, you don't have to beg. You, you, you get by. 
they didn't really have stuff like that back then. The best program that he had was people would carry him somewhere to beg. And it's hard to imagine this for many of us, but I have heard people who, who rely on these programs. I, I got disability. I got, I got you know, welfare. I got all these things that, that pay my bills. If I get healed, I would have to go back to work. <laughs> it's crazy, but the people say this. People act this way. They think this way. But the man in our text, I guarantee you, that man, he wanted to walk. But for some reason, that was not the thought on his mind. He was seeking just temporary fixes. And we see he finds a glorious alternative. Sometimes people are afraid of the miracle that God could work in their lives because they are afraid of the responsibility. We think, man, if God moved this way in my life, then what would he expect of me after? If he worked this amazing miracle, what, what would God want of my life afterwards? Could I live up to it? Do I even want to do it? But it's amazing the lies from hell that we will fall prey to to ultimately ask ourselves, do I really want a full miracle from God? And again, I, I don't know the issues of this man's heart. I don't believe that he didn't want to be healed. I just didn't think that he was thinking about it. I just got to get by another day. But the question is, when we come before God, in the house of God, what do we want him to do in us? What do we expect him to do in us? Are we seeking just a get-me-by miracle? Or do we want a full, unfiltered miracle? Think for a moment, all of us, think for a moment of an area in your life where you need God's miracle-working power. Some of y'all are like, just one area? Go ahead, two or three, that's fine. Think for a moment of an area where, you, God, if you could just take all of this, turn it around, change it, restructure it, rip it out. I don't know. What should we expect from God? Our text in verse 5 says that as they, as they said, look at us, verse 5 says, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. It's interesting. He was expecting to receive something. But what was he expecting? What are we expecting when we come into church, when we come to revivals, when we come to these? Are we expecting a full, unfiltered experience of the power of God? Or are we expecting some alms? You, you might say he was just at the right place at the right time, but he had low expectations. He came to the gates of the house of God to seek his needs, but he had no idea what God could really do. 
You see, but we read about miracles in the Bible all the way from Genesis to Revelation, the powerful things that God can and will do that he's capable of. But do we truly believe that God can move in these same ways in our own lives? You see, sometimes we read the Bible and we think, wow, that's amazing, but does God really do that to people like me, people like us? Jesus said, all of these things you've seen me do, speaking to his followers, all of these things you've seen me do, you will go on to do more things, greater things, through the power of the Spirit. So you better believe he's still doing it. But if you struggle to believe that God can work this powerful miracle in your life, that he can take things and rewire them, reroute them, change them, pull them out, add them in, whatever your miracle looks like, if you struggle to believe that God won't do that for me, then listen. Don't overcomplicate it. Just ask God, help me to believe that you can do this. There's a story in the Bible I found incredibly encouraging. It's found in Mark chapter 9. I won't read the whole story, but as it goes, is that Jesus was off doing something else, and he comes back, and he shows up, and, and, and Jesus, uh, his disciples are, are struggling. They're trying to do ministry without Jesus there, and, and they're still trying to learn, trying to figure things out. And as he approaches, he sees this man who's there with his boy, with his disciples, and, G and, and his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, we tried to cast the demons out of this man's son, but we couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. And so Jesus says, okay, all right, let's, let's see what we can do here. <laughs> right, as if Jesus didn't know what he could do. I'm paraphrasing this, by the way. I don't have it memorized. And he asks the man, how long has this happened to your son? He says, ever since he was a small child, that sometimes he would have convulsions and the spirits would try to throw him into a fire. And, and we, you, you know, we're, we're, we're worried about my son. We pick up the story. In verse 22, the man asks Jesus, Is there, if you have any compassion on us, can you help us? And verse 23 says, And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said he was dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. This, this story is, is powerful, but the focus that I want to bring out here is verse 23. Jesus says, in response to the man asking, can you help us? And Jesus says, if you can... All things are possible for the one who believes. You see, we tend to struggle with this idea. The Bible says, Jesus says, 
All things are possible for the one who believes. If you believe, it can be done. We struggle with this. Sometimes we say, man, I believe it because it's in the Bible, but I, I, yeah, I believe it. But it's hard to believe. It seems like a contradictory statement. It seems like it doesn't make sense. But in the reality, any of us who's been there, we know exactly how this man feels. In verse 24, when he tells Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's like, wait, didn't you just say you believe, but then now you're saying help my unbelief? It's like, this is the inner conflict that we deal with sometimes when we face our battles. He's looking at his son who's been dealing with this since he was a little boy. And he says, I believe in who you are, but I also see the struggle. I also see the pain. I also see what I'm dealing with. And it's hard to imagine this mountain being moved. It's hard to imagine this situation being changed. But I believe you can, but part of me is struggling to believe it. I believe, but somehow not all the way. I believe, but I feel like my belief isn't enough. I believe, but I'm inadequate. I believe who you are, Jesus, but I don't believe I'm worthy of it. But what an image of the mercy of our God that we see in this story. We give what we fully have. This man says, Jesus, I believe, but help me. Help my unbelief. And Jesus goes, I can work with that. <laughs> because we don't have to go all the way. We don't have to have it all. What does Jesus say? The faith of a mustard seed can take a mountain and cast it into... Man, I hope my faith's bigger than a mustard seed. That's a little bitty. But if it's not, I'll take a mustard seed. I'll take half a mustard seed. I'll move, take Badger Mountain and cast it into the ocean. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Of course, he's not talking about real mountains. He's talking about the mountains in your life. We all have them. But what an image of the mercy of God that he has for us imperfect, puny little humans. I believe, but help my unbelief. And Jesus says, that's enough. And we see Christ do just that. He answers his prayer. He heals his son. Church, pray that prayer. Even right now, as you face your mountains, as you face your struggles, as you are face to face with this, that, or the other thing, whatever it is, if you struggle to believe that God can change it, then tell God, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Even right now, pray it. God, I believe. Kill any doubt within me. You know, the truth is that that doubt can't be fully killed until we see God do it. And even then, that stinking little devil has a way to work that doubt back in later on. Because we're weak. We, we struggle to believe supernatural things. Why? Because we're natural humans. <laughs> it's not that complicated. We're not supernatural. God is. We have these natural, what we call like laws of physics and things like that, that we believe in our minds. Things can't happen outside of. And God says, well, okay, that tumor, that cancer, gone. That, that issue, that, that mountain, whatever it is, gone. Our natural minds don't see mountains being cast into oceans anytime soon. But God says that mountain in your life, 
Why? Because he's supernatural. The issues that we see, he's above it all. The world that we live in, he created it all. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. See, if we put God in a box, then we too will live in a box. The same box that we confine God to, we will be confined to as well. Living a life restricted by our unbelief and our unfaithfulness. But the question is, can we look to God expecting to be able to learn to walk like this man in our text? It says in verse 2 that he was a man who was lame from birth. He was born this way. An entire life being unable to walk. He didn't suffer an injury. It wasn't like it happened last week and he's like, I'm just looking to get over this. Wasn't an illness or anything of that sort. He was born this way. You know, this is a really good image of us spiritually. We are born lame. We are born unable. We are born imperfect. But when we experience the full power of God in our lives, we can learn to walk. I mean, consider how remarkable this miracle is. Verses 7 and 8 from our text says, And he took him by the, by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong, and leaping he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Think about this. This dude's never stood on his own two feet, literally. Anybody ever suffered a significant injury? like in an arm or a leg or something. And you had to have you, you have to have like surgery in this time of recovery. You can't put any weight on it. When it's time to rehab, when it's time to start walking again or moving the arm again or whatever, that foot, that hand, whatever it is, is weak. <laughs> it's like you'd lose an arm wrestling match with Jack. Weak puny muscle it's gone you spend all this time laying up your arm or laying up your leg or whatever it is how many know muscle you got to use it to get it you don't use it it goes away you sit there for weeks and it deteriorates and you become this little noodle arm while your other arm looks normal you look like an arm wrestler you ever seen those guys they're ridiculous but this guy his entire i don't know how old he was but he was old enough his entire life has never used his legs. Think about how weak those legs are. Obviously, he can't move them, but there's no real muscle there. There's no real tissue there. What does this text say? That he was, he was healed and he was made strong. And he gets up and he's leaping and he stood again. He began to walk. He began walking and leaping and praising God. Think about this. This isn't just about mobility being restored to his legs, but strength. That is wild. Like every single one of you guys who went through that injury or you know kind of at least from observation what it's like to rehab, just simply the doctor saying, okay, go ahead and use it again. You're like, oh man, this thing's weak. Just simply having that strength restored would be an incredible miracle. But this man's never used his legs before. Let that blow your mind for a second. 
This is more than just healed ability to move his legs. This is strength and power being instilled into this man by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do we believe that God can do that? Do we believe that we can receive more than just alms from God? But that beyond that, we can receive miracles and powerful moves from God and also that God will provide the strength to put those blessings to use. You see, some of us, we need, we need God to move in powerful ways in different areas of our lives. But we also need the strength that when that mountain is moved, when that issue, whatever it is, that we have the strength to maintain it. As we come into this revival, leading into this, what do you believe God can do in you, in your life? What do you believe God can do in this church? What do you believe God can do in our city? Should God heal you? Believe in the healing and the strength to use it for his glory. Should our church expand and grow? Believe in the strength to maintain a testimony and a joy before the new converts as they come. Now, I asked you guys a minute ago, think of an area in your life, a miracle, somewhere where you need God to move. Think of that again. One, two, three, four, ten, whatever it is. Do you believe, really, do you believe that God can move in that area? Do you want him to, genuinely? Are you looking to him first in this area? Are you looking to God in that area through prayer, through obedience, through faithfulness, saying, God, I want you to move in this area, but we're being unfaithful over here, then what are we going to do? This man couldn't even walk, but he still found himself at least outside of the temple every day. Don't let the world provide answers to God's tests. Don't let the world say this is how this can happen. This is how this can operate. This is the way that this goes. No, we must look to God first in all things. In faithfulness, in obedience, in prayer, in whatever it is, in everything. If we want God to move in an area of our life that we haven't given him, then we aren't giving him the freedom to move in that area. Does that make sense to you? That makes like God. I want you to. I want you to heal this relationship, but you can't have it. <laughs> God, I want you to move in my finances, but I can't afford to pay my tithes. It's like, God, I want you to clean up this room in my house, but don't go through the door. I <laughs> don't make sense. Are we looking to him first? That area, that one miracle, that two miracle, whatever it is, that spot in your life, that area where you say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Have you given that area over to him? 
And can we come before God with expectations in the right heart? Because our God is supernatural. So you must expect just that, that he will move supernaturally. We're coming into revival services, but it's more than just that. Revivals with evangelists, we go to rallies, we go to conferences. What are you looking for when you go to these things, when you attend these things? Are we just seeking some emotional fill? Listen, we go emotion fill to emotion fill. We're going to run out of steam before the next revival. Inspiring sermons, I feel good, now let's go home. Or are we expecting God to move in us supernaturally? Listen, I can preach my heart out. I can preach till I have no voice, but I ain't going to do nothing supernaturally for you. Do we believe that God is going to move? Verses 3 through 5 from our text. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. In verse 4, he had to have begun to wonder what was different at this time. Something was up with these guys. There was something about them, right? You see a beggar on the street. Some people, they might give to him. They might pull out a dollar or something. They probably don't even look him in the eyes. They just toss it and they move on or whatever. Maybe $5, maybe you're feeling generous. You drop him a 20 that day. That's the, the typical MO, right? The people who do actually, no, they looked him in the eyes and said, look at us. <laughs> you have be <been> like, <laughs> okay, <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> this is different. There's something about these guys. And verse four, man, he, this is not an encounter that he's used to. Probably 95% of his encounters are him sitting there on the ground begging for money and people walking by like this, acting like they don't see nothing. And the ones who do give him an alm or two, here you go, buddy, move on. But Peter looks at him. Think about it. He says, look at us, which means he wasn't looking at them yet. Peter gets his attention. He says, look at us. He's thinking something's different here. Something when, when we when we talk to people, when we when we evangelize to people, when people come into this church, do they see something different than anywhere else they've been? You see, because people when they come through these doors, when we talk to them out there and they're not saved, they're just beggars like we were. We we still are, but we just live in the house of the king now. I don't know, maybe he heard of these guys. Maybe he knew who they were. I mean, the disciples, they were really starting to shake things up at this time. It wasn't long before that that Peter preached the first sermon of the new church and 3,000 men and their families were saved. There was this ruckus of this, like, earthquake thing that happened right before it. I mean, there's a lot going on. Maybe he knew exactly who those guys were. And maybe he was expecting something supernatural to happen because he heard about the miracles that were taking place. We don't know. But think of your miracle. God is saying, just like they did, look at me. God is telling you, I am the one who has what you need. 
Verse 5, he fixes attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. Fix your eyes on Jesus Christ and expect something from him. Are you expecting God to move in your life? Revivals, conferences, even right now. Regular Sunday services, Wednesday services. We don't, guys, breaking news. We don't have to wait for revivals for God to move in powerful ways in our lives. Some of us know that very well recently. Are you expecting that God will move in your life? Are you operating in the spirit of expectation before God? Not that will God move, but that God will move for you. Think Think of that miracle. Are you bringing yourself before God? Are you bringing yourself before God, but only seeking some get-me-by miracles? Or are you seeking to have your life changed by the God who created you? Miracles by His supernatural power to change the very fabric of your existence. If you haven't experienced a miracle like that, I pray that you do because it can really change your outlook on things. That change the course of your life. That when you come to a regular church service, that when you come to a revival service, that when we go to rallies, when we go to conferences, when we do these things, whatever it is, that we come before God expecting God to move in our whole life in supernatural ways, or are we only asking God for something to get us by? Because we need, we must give our all to God. How can we expect God to move in an area that we, we, we don't give up give up to Him? Malachi 3.10, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. See, this verse, it's speaking about tithes and offerings. It's speaking about money and giving to the house of God. But what about us, our lives as a whole? We're more than just a wallet. (laughs) Some of us are barely a wallet. (laughs) What about us as a whole? Romans 12.1 says, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. You see, God, 10% of you, as a person, as a servant of God. Bring your full tithes in the storehouse, but bring your full self into the house of God. That there may be servants in the house of God. And see if he will not work in your life in impossible ways to provide and produce in you in ways that only he can do. Give your all to God who made it all and he will make more out of your little. 
He will make strengths out of your weakness. He'll make wisdom out of your foolishness. He will bring health out of your disability. Do you believe that God can do more than just get you by? If you do, even just a little bit, then give it all over to Him. And then let Him do what only He can do. Stop limiting God to to a get-me-by God. That's a weak God. That's not an all-powerful God. Stop limiting God. Stop putting Him in that box to a God that's going to just get you to the next whatever. Get you through the next whatever. And begin to acknowledge Him as the miracle-working, all-powerful, almighty God created you, created the heavens and the earth, and he's watching over all of it. And just with the sound of his voice can change the very existence of us. To think that the God who spoke the earth into existence with the power of his voice can't speak into our lives and change things, that's just silly. Stop limiting God. He's not a get-me-by God, and He doesn't want to be one. We must acknowledge Him and simply come before Him believing. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And He will. He has. And He's going to keep doing it. But can he do it in your life? Will you let him? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.